Hello, everyone, and welcome aboard. Uh, we're so excited to have you all here for a special episode of All Aboard Golf. Uh, as you'll quickly learn, this was not on our scheduled list of episodes that we released at the start of this new year, um, but we've received a lot of feedback from our listeners that people would like to hear a bit more about the new Netflix golf show, Full Swings. So for those of you that don't know, a new show was released on Netflix at the end of last month called Full Swing, and similar to Formula One's Drive to Survive or the tennis show Breakpoint, it basically chronicles the season on the PGA Tour uh, following different different golfers and their teams along the way. So uh, again, the show has been very popular. It was in the top 10 of Netflix for a number of weeks after its release. And so based on the feedback we got and based on our own experiences watching and enjoying the show, uh, we really wanted to just share our thoughts and and get a sense of, uh, get it out there, you know, how much we enjoyed it or what we think could improve for, for season two, which they're already filming now. So uh, looking forward to having a bit of a roundtable here. Obviously got Caleb and I on. Uh, we've got Tim Wolock joining us again. Thanks for thanks for coming back, Tim. Hey guys, thanks for inviting me back. I, I had a lot of fun the first time, and I uh, this is going to be a fun one today. I think for those of you that did not get the chance to hear Tim's beautiful voice gracing your your podcast uh, platforms last time, uh, please check out our part three players championship episode because Tim provided some great insight into the PGA Tour's uh, designated events so far in 2023, as well as. Uh, TBC Sawgrass and the Players Championship. But Caleb, we have another special guest today. Uh, one of our other good friends would love for you to take some time and introduce him. We do. We have uh, my best friend from college. We went to Furman together. William Douglas is with us this evening. Uh, William, why don't I'll just hand the floor right over to you. Why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners and we're having everyone tell their golf stories, how, how they got into the game and, and your experiences. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm super excited to be here. Um, I remember when this podcast was just an idea where uh, I I'd be in the car and call Caleb and say, man, I, was, I just talked to Drew. We're getting ready to launch our podcast. We're talking about the podcast. We have a logo for the podcast. So I'm excited to be here now that uh, it's 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 here, you know, happy to be aboard, I guess. So, um, yeah, so I um, am not a lifelong golfer. Uh, as I guess 50% of the people on this podcast currently are. Um, I started playing golf in, in high school. Um, the day before ninth grade, I went to the driving range for the very first time with my dad and one of his friends who coached golf. And it was an abomination of golf. I disgraced probably every aspect of the game. <laughs> um, and I took a year to just kind of like figure out the game, learn to have fun playing poorly. And uh, it was a great opportunity to, to get out and, and to play. My dad played before uh, he and my mom had kids and then kind of stopped playing when my brothers and I weren't interested in it. And then um, picked it back up when I started playing. And then I joined the high school team in my sophomore year. And uh, I didn't really play respectable golf, I guess I should say, until probably my my senior year of high school. And I was, you know, at a point where I knew how to fix things that I didn't know how to, um, that I previously didn't know how to fix, you know, I had a little more control of the ball. Um, and again, uh, was just learning how to appreciate the game. Um, and then in college, uh, we had a pretty good group of guys that played and, um, I still play a lot. I've got to play a few really neat courses. Um, and so I'm always will be a student of the game and, uh, just am excited to be here and talk about it with you guys. So, yeah, a, a member of the Furman Tour, Drew. 
Yeah, Fort William was a, was a, was a founding member, really. I would say the driver in a lot of ways of, of getting all of us together out on the course. So we, we have a lot of Thursday and Friday afternoons uh, to thank William for. So much appreciated, man. Well, I think we got to get Furman to do with the free golf. You know, yeah. the weekday free golf definitely uh, improved my mental health, I guess we should say. All that person. All right, so let's let's get right into it. We got a lot to talk about. I'm sure there's gonna be lots of side conversations that, that come from our discussion of the episodes. So let's start with with episode one. I guess a, a first a brief overview of the series. So for those of you who who aren't, aren't familiar with it, Netflix did a eight episode series going through basically a parallel production of the F1 Drive to Survive. Uh, it was basically supposed to be the same thing, but for for golf. So they followed a number of players that they you know, signed agreements with at the beginning of the season, followed them throughout the year, and then put together eight episodes. I, mean, I, I can't remember how many hours of footage they had by the end of it, but it was a ridiculous amount. Plus, the PGA Tour gave them access to all of the tournament footage and any other footage that the PGA Tour had in their archives. And Netflix had access to all of that. Which, so, is, which is crazy because, you know, the PGA Tour is sitting on billions and billions of dollars worth of media rights that players don't have access to just as a reminder <laughs> there's they're sitting on that <laughs> that didn't take long drew <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Drew, you have an opinion you want to talk about <laughs> so anyways netflix took all of that footage they they distilled it down to eight 45 minute episodes and each of them focus on a player or a couple players and they they tell their stories you know, how they grew up with the game, a lot of stories about how their dads pass along the game to them, maybe relationships they have with other players. And we'll get into all of that. So why don't we get started with the first episode? It's called Frenemies, and it focuses on Jordan Spieth and Justin Thomas. Uh, Drew, why don't you start us off and just give us your initial uh, takeaways from the from the episode, maybe your your favorite part and maybe your least favorite part. Yeah, I think I think initially start with the title for a sec. I, I heard someone mention this on another golf podcast, and I really agree with it. And I, it was my first thought when like watching the show because the first thing they show is the title of the episode. Are they really frenemies, like at all? Like <laughs> I understand that they're competing, and I know that's a big part of the episode where you know JT was kind of living in Jordan's shadow over the first few years of their career, and now you could argue that Jordan is maybe a little bit in JT's shadow. You know, that's something I think the episode explores a little bit. Um, at no point would I consider them to be enemies in, in any sense. So I'm not sure if the title was like a super accurate representation of their relationship. They genuinely seem to be really good friends. And Jordan was just the best man in JT's wedding. So I uh, I don't know. My first, my, my initial thought was, okay, <laughs> bad title for the episode to start off. But uh, as far as the episode itself, you know, like that, that storyline is really out there. I think as someone that has really been attuned to professional golf and loves following golf like you already know JT and Jordan are good buddies you've seen all the pictures of them you know as little kids playing in junior tournaments together that storyline's been beaten to death you know so like honestly I could kind of take it or leave it as far as like the topic of an episode uh, given that like every time they played together or were in contention in the same tournament or <laughs> one of them was even brought up the other one almost automatically was too so I think this storyline probably especially geared towards maybe someone newer to golf who wouldn't know who Justin Thomas and Jordan Spieth are, which again, I think there's elements in the show that that do that intentionally. Um, but for someone that's followed golf, like I was like, okay, I feel like I already have a sense of, of what this is about, but 
I appreciated, I think, the extent to which Justin Thomas let Netflix into his life and kind of, you know, got a little bit deeper. Uh, Jordan Speed is my favorite golfer, full disclosure, favorite player. I love Jordan. Um, he didn't really give us a lot, you know, uh, it, it basically got to see him in the gym, got to see him on the course a little bit. And you saw him do like one ad shoot for AT&T. So I felt like we didn't get an insight into Jordan's life as much as I was hoping for. Although if I was in his shoes, I, I probably wouldn't want them in my house and everything as well. So I, I guess I kind of get both sides of that. But and I think that'll be a common thread, thread throughout a lot of this is like, you know, the level of access a player gave the crew really determines how compelling their episode is in a lot of ways. And so even though JT gave more than Spieth, neither one of them gave like their full lives up to the show which I think makes this episode one of the one of the least compelling of the series. Not that it was bad and I enjoyed it. And again, for someone who doesn't follow golf, it's a great overview of their relationship, which is an important thing to understand in the context of the game. Like two of those players in the world are also childhood best friends, right? And, you know, best men in each other's weddings. Um, to me, it was a little bit less compelling because it wasn't telling me something I didn't already know. And, you know, like it was just them hanging out on a private jet, right? And playing card games for like, oh, I like, pick, pick the card for a thousand dollars. Like that's a, that's a life we don't live, but just, you know, it's cool to appreciate and see some of those things. But, but I guess a good example is like what I want is sort of like the nitty gritty details about either the process that goes into their craft, right? And or kind of insight into their life at home. And I don't think we got either one of those in this episode. So I think this is a good overview for someone new to golf. But I felt like as a golfer, it was lacking the depth in the areas that I wanted to know more about. And instead, I heard a lot of stuff that I've heard a million times over. I think that's especially pronounced because some of the episode, other episodes really gave us that. And and I don't want to get uh, too far ahead of our skis here, but the Joel Damon episode really gave you a deep insight into his life, his relationship with his caddy. And you really felt like you understand what he's all about on the golf course. So I drew that, that is a point well taken. William, do you have thoughts? Yeah. Um, okay. So I, I got a couple things uh, to say about that. So first off, I think Drew made a really good point that I know that Caleb, at least we've, we've talked about before about the show and Drew just said was we're, I mean, we're literally on a podcast talking about golf. We're not the intended audience of the Netflix show. Right. Drive to Survive was successful because it got a bunch of people who were into Formula One into Formula One. And this is getting a lot of people who maybe watch Sunday at the Masters or they watch um, the Waste Management for, you know, Hole 16, or maybe they watch whatever, you know, let's say they live close to, you know, they live in Charlotte. They're going to go to the Wells Fargo on Sunday or something like that. You know, you know, man, this is, we'll this is, oh, exactly. Oh, yeah. yeah. And so this is getting some some people into golf that maybe are familiar with it. Maybe they know a few players' names. Um, and so I think we just got to keep that in mind. Um, but as for this, this Frenemies episode, I thought it set a good tone of how golf is individual, but like you're together with your friends in this individual sport of – you can sit in the clubhouse after a round and share a burger as we saw in other episodes of players doing, but at the end of the day, like you're making $10,000 putts. Right. And we can be friends all day long, but if it's in between me and you drew and one of us is going to get $2 million, you better be, you're going to be, you're going to be my enemy. Right. Cause I'm going to want that $2 million. So I think it's, 
I, I, I totally understand what you're saying, but like, I think the enemy aspect of just like, really they're your opponent, not your enemy. Right. right. And I think that's the distinction right? I'm, I'm trying to make. Right. Yeah. Like, I, like William, respectfully, <laughs> if we're putting for $2 million, I'm going to want to beat the absolute crap out of you. And you will. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you did. Every Re reminder, <laughs> reminder that we're putting though. So playing field very level when I've got a putter in my hands. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but I still would never consider you my enemy. I think it's, it's a, I, I'm going to get this wrong, but it was a two or three years ago. It was Charlie Wood's first time playing PNC championship, I believe, or PNC tournament. And somebody asked like a very personal question to Tiger about Charlie. And they were like, what's on you're you know, you are on the poster of so many people's walls. Like what's on the post, what's on Charlie's wall. And he was like, I'm not going to tell you that. Like, I'm not going to let you in on that. Like, He's however years old, like, no, that's personal. And I think that's what we got to keep in mind. It's like, these people live their entire life in the spotlight. They're You got to respect that, that. Yeah. This TV shows all about them. But at the end of the day, like if you're a live tour player and everyone's in your nose asking you, like, how do you feel about being paid for blood money or whatever you want to call it? Like, you know, like they're going to want to put up some barrier, just leave me alone. You know, like you don't need to see what my kitchen looks like, you know? So yeah yeah i i think they did a good job of giving us the fifty thousand foot view and i guess you could say it was a, a good you know tone setter for the rest of the series was, you know a soft introduction if you will but i wish I, I thought they tried to tell too many different stories and they didn't finish either of them they didn't do a thorough job of telling one story if, if you're gonna if you're gonna tell a story of you know, look, these two guys were friends. Jordan had an unbelievable start to his career, and JT was just known as Jordan's friend, which knowing who JT is now, that is very interesting. I think of JT just being known as, oh, it's just Jordan's friend. He's not known for his golf at all. That's really compelling. But then all, and, and they mentioned that, but then all of a sudden, the next thing they show is JT winning a major. Like, okay, how did we get from A to B here? Yeah. Tell us that story, you know, and then also they kind of mentioned, oh, you know, Jordan's been struggling. He hasn't he, he won a lot of majors and he hasn't really won one since, but they didn't really get into his struggles. And, you know, what's going on? Like, what is he struggling with? You know, why is he not performing to the level that he was performing when he was younger? That is that's the stuff that I think is is compelling. And even to the beginner who's just getting into golf and or maybe a casual majors golf fan that's the stuff that you know, that really nerdy golf stuff they, they kind of steered away from in this series y'all were just talking about you know they don't want to let you into the personal lives but listening to them talk about their golf that is super interesting because they geek out on that stuff and they will talk to you about their golf forever you know they'll give you a lot of details and they might not give you their trade secrets but they'll tell you a lot of stuff about the things that they're going through things that they've been working on uh, and I think that stuff is that stuff is compelling. Tim, why don't we get some some of your thoughts? Yeah, I uh, I agree with a lot that's been said. I think when you create a show like this, you need to you kind of have to decide who your target audience is, and you have to try and balance or either pick. Do I want to go for the golf nerds and the guys like us who just love golf and want to talk about it, or do I want to go for someone who doesn't really know golf? Caleb, like you mentioned, might watch Sunday at the Masters. Might click the U.S. Open if it's on. There's nothing else, but doesn't really care. 
I felt like they struggled a little with the balance, to be honest with you. I think they leaned a lot heavier, a lot more heavily towards the new the newbie. And to Drew's point earlier, like I, I didn't with with the frenemies thing, I didn't see any of the enemies thing. And as as someone who played competitive golf growing up, and I had a you know, we played in the same tournaments all the time as a lot of these other kids, and you become friends with them very quickly. I I'd never, you know, like I would get into playoffs with these guys and it was never for $2 million. In fact, it was never for any money, but at the time it meant a lot to us and you'd be playing against them and they'd hit it out of bounds on a playoff hole. And you sit there as their competitor and go like, Oh no, like, like crap. Like, I, I, I don't know. I never felt like I was actively really rooting against my friend. And that's how I feel like JT and Jordan are like, if they got into a playoff and JT just destroys one into the water, I feel like Jordan's going to look like, Damn, that's tough. Like he's gonna feel for him a little bit. I thought. I thought one of the the also the bigger misses here is is they they got some audio between uh, JT and Bones, and they had some good audio between JT and his dad, but they got nothing yeah, between JT nothing. No, between uh, Jordan and Greller. Yep, like yeah. nothing. Which is and that's like a you have caddy player relationship. You have all of the PJ tours archives and yep. you get you put nothing of Not jordan spieth and michael greller <laughs> i think uh i think all of the conversations between michael and uh spieth are, are too long to fit into a nice audio clip so <laughs> that might have been the reason well i think that was one of the problems not, not just with the episode and i'm not going to spoil it but like kind of with the series like you guys are saying there's so much interesting stuff that they sort of brought up and i was waiting mm. for them to, you know i was almost like oh finally we can go into this we could we could talk about Jordan Spieth's swing change, right? We could talk about, you know, how JT's evolved his game and they bring it up and they give you a little hint and then they they pull it back and they go to the next thing. And I, I felt like that was with a lot of episodes where they brushed over something that as someone who's watched golf, I know would be very, very interesting if they talked about it and they, they just kind of let it go. And that to me in some episodes i was not super satisfied with with how it ended or, or what they talked about i could not agree more tim and that was the point i was going to make when caleb was saying it earlier like in almost all these episodes like again there are very there's like two of them i can think of that i didn't feel this way where they introduce like 50 storylines and the, like you know it might be a mile wide but it's an inch deep just like give me an inch wide and a mile deep on a couple of things you know and and, and caleb to your point some of that might be like let's actually explore JT's past, him winning his first major and having to wait five years to win his second one, you know, living in Jordan's shadow for like four years while they were, you know, kind of contemporary stars all the way up until that point. Um, the way he must've felt watching Jordan win all these events in their late teens and early twenties. And he hadn't won anything because the thing is you'd hope for a show like this, you're going to have multiple seasons. I think there's plenty of time for more storylines to be introduced, Agreed. additional wrinkles to be added. Mm -hmm. But to me, it felt like they're trying especially in this first episode, because you know, not only were they following Jordan and JT, but they also sort of introduced pretty much every other player that's going to be on the show throughout the rest of the season. I, I felt like I had a little bit of whiplash. Like, and, and and again, we know these guys, right? All the people that are showing up on screen we're comfortable with and we have seen them before. But I don't know. I, I also had the thought, like watching it as a new, like if I was a brand new golfer or I didn't know anything about golf and I just put the songs in the top town Netflix, like I'd be like, okay, whoa, like information overload. There's There's too many people that I'm being introduced to here and I'm not ready to like, you're, you're almost not set up to enjoy their stories anyway. But then even if you are set up to enjoy their stories, you don't really get them. 
Um, and I think episode one was particularly emblematic of that. But like Tim said, I think that happens with, with a lot of the show as well, unfortunately. I agree. Um, yeah. And, and I think the bottom line for me on, on this episode is maybe I was, you know, hyping it up in my mind because Jordan Spieth's my favorite golfer and I, I really like watching JT. But I think another part of it is I do recognize that this the show is not for us. We, we've said that. And, and that's okay. But I'm not sure if I'm watching drive to survive and they tell me in the first episode that two of the two of the drivers are our best friends and they have been since they were kids that doesn't make watching what they do more interesting like tell me what they're going through tell me what tell me like what are you what are you thinking about when you're setting up a car for a race like what are the factors that are going through your mind and, and how does the track that you're driving on impact that you know well, like, I, I mean, I have no idea because I, I don't know what F1 is, what uh, what goes into driving an F1 race, but that's something that I would want to learn. I, you know, I, so I'm not sure that keeping it this high level is really going to bring in that many more new new golf fans. J William, you had you had one more yeah, point. Yeah, I, I think if you watch the show, you probably watch a lot of other sports. You may not watch golf religiously, but you watch a lot of other sports, which means you probably know who Jordan Spieth is because you've seen him on the AT&T commercials. But you may not know who Justin Thomas is because he's not on a bunch of commercials. It's like him and Ricky, Fowler, like uh, Jordan Spieth and Ricky Fowler are like on all the commercials. Right. And so you can like kind of identify who they are. You may have no idea who Jordan or who uh, Justin Thomas is. Excuse me. Like, I think by them giving the audience enough to where they're probably going to pick up their computer or their phone or their iPad or whatever, and then Google Justin Thomas and read about him, then in my mind, the show served its purpose. So that's a good point. I, I did have that thought too when, when Caleb was just talking. Like, you know, to a certain extent, again, you can argue what the show's purpose actually is, right? And like, while I also like Caleb and feeling like I want more from the show, like you said, if, if it's a gateway for people to ultimately dive deeper and to learn more and to get interested in the things that we are complaining about not seeing on the show, like that's also a good thing, right? I would love to get that from the show. But like you said, you know, the hope is that this spurs enough people to take an independent interest. The question is, you know, is it compelling enough to do that? I don't, I don't think episode one was, but there are episodes I think were. So I, or, I, so I got a I got a deeper question to ask you. Sorry to interrupt you, Tim. I got a deeper, deeper question to ask you about golf. When in golf, Drew, is there ever really enough, right? Like you're going <laughs> to shoot a good round, right? And you're going to say, man, Never. I really, I really, you know, could have, if we're playing at Furman, I really could have, you know, hit that drive better on the third hole. You know, I could have cut the corner a little tighter over the lake had a better shot in, you know, I could have done blah, blah, blah. I could, you could shoot a career low and there's something that every golfer is going to say, I should have, I could have, I would have. Right. So I think being a little, you know, of having this emotion of, Hey, they could have, they should have, if I was in charge, I would have. It's just very fitting for it being. a Yeah. Gotcha. That's, that's, that's a really meta take. I really appreciate all, that the parallel you drew there. That was sweet. That was a little actually. too deep. Sorry. No, I, I don't think it was. No, I don't think it was. I, I do think it's funny because Drew, I'm pretty sure you were there when I shot my career low and we get off we get off 18 and I was just like he, Drew was like, that was a great round. Like 
missed a couple of putts though. Like you know what I mean? <laughs> missed left a couple left a couple out there. I felt like for for what it's worth, you know, I did I watched this whole series with with my girlfriend who has never watched a golf tournament in her life, including the Masters or the U.S. Open. Didn't even know what the Masters was. Has never hit a golf ball in her life. Uh, and she was after the series was very bought in. She's like now texting me a couple times, like, when's that next tournament? Like talking about the player. She's like, is that coming up? Like, where what's what's that gonna be? Like, she she just knows she likes uh she really likes Justin Thomas. She's like, is is Justin gonna be in that one? Tim, I got a question for you then that Caleb and I were mentioning earlier. Does your girlfriend think that Tulsa is the home of golf? <laughs> no, but that's a <laughs> phenomenal point. That is something that drove me up the wall and was like kind of a joke as we watched it. <laughs> Every episode, they kept giving this like B-roll skyline of Tulsa, Oklahoma. No offense to Tulsa, I'm sure it's a fine city, but they kept giving like that like crappy B-roll music to like Tulsa, Oklahoma, and there would be it's like we get it, we know what I happened mean, there already. Let's let's just <laughs> zoom out for a sec. Thirty thousand feet. Think about the majors we had last year in the venues. We had the Masters at Augusta National, course, yeah. the U.S. Open at Brookline. Yeah, the 150th Open Championship at St Andrews, the home of golf, yeah. and those three tournaments made up like five percent of the series, Tulsa. and like thirty percent of the whole series was at Southern Hills, which was by far the worst well, major venue of the season. Well, it's like they they told us in the first episode what happens in Tulsa. That's what I think was was one of the problems with the show is like, and I'm not going to spoil too much when they talk about Mita Pereira and they talk about him at at Southern Hills. It's like we, we, we know what happened. They told us in the first episode, you know, we can't, how many times are we going to rehash Tulsa? Yeah. A well, I, I wrote, answer. I wrote several times in my notes. I, I was taking notes as I, I went back and watched through a second time, several times, all caps. Why are we back in Tulsa? You know, why, why, why didn't we just take all of the get it. Tulsa footage, cram it into one episode and then move on? <laughs> But speaking of moving on, I think it's uh, about time that we yep. go can on. I, can, I, can I make one final point on the last episode, on the first yeah. episode? Sorry. I know. I know we spent a long time uh, here. But, it, you know. Permission to speak freely, yes. Uh, much appreciated. Thank you. I was going to do it regardless of your permission. So thanks. <laughs> one, and we, we talked about a lot of things the first episode could have improved on. I think one thing they absolutely nailed in this episode that's important to recognize is they captured what it feels like to win a major so well. Uh, after Justin Thomas won the PGA at Southern Hills, you know, when they, had his when they had his dad crouching down next to him, you know, kind of the stuff he was whispering to him and their conversation was, I mean, I was going to start crying watching that. It was awesome. And then I think the best quote, like JT had this amazing quote. Uh, he was basically like, so, he was kind of basking in the afterglow of this huge victory that he'd worked so many hours for. And he said, man, I just wish it would go slower so you could enjoy it more. And yep. You know, wow. that got me thinking a lot about like, think about the hundreds of thousands of hours someone like JT, we're really all professionals put in all for literally something that happens so quickly. Like they play four days and JT wins in a playoff, you know, the last hole, the last couple putts took 30 seconds and he's got the standing ovation for five minutes. Mm -hmm. They get a trophy presentation, get some more applause and then everyone leaves the course and you're just left there to consider the accomplishment of all the hours you put in. And I think they captured how strange that must feel and how, how, how satisfying in some ways, but also like, man, I did all this work and this moment so short. I just wish we could capture it a little bit more. 
I get, I get, I'm getting chills talking about it now, honestly. Yeah, I think that's that was such an a good amazing point, moment. Like, seriously, I think whether it's a book or a movie or a show, it makes you feel something like that that you've never experienced. To me, it's doing its job. So that was that was a moment that I just wanted to highlight. But I know we need to move on to episode two. So, all right, I want to take a brief moment here to take a break after we reviewed episode one of Full Swing. And before we get to episode two, just want to share a message from our sponsor, Basketball in Business. So I know we've got a lot of golf fans that are listening here to the podcast, but if you're anything like me, March is one of the best times of year for another sport as well. March Madness is a fun and exhilarating time for sports fans. And the reality is, now that I'm a young professional, I'm working in the real world, I've got friends, I've got work, I've got life, all kinds of adult things to do. It has been so much harder to stay in touch with college basketball and you have some idea of what to expect for this year's March Madness. However, the solution is that I started following a new college basketball newsletter called Basketball and Business. It's produced by one of my great college friends, Ian Martins, and it comes to my inbox once a week and keeps me updated on scores, upsets, predictions, etc. in five minutes or less. So even though I've watched the least college basketball this year that I've watched in many, many years, I've got very high expectations for my bracket because I am still up to date on what is happening Basketball and business is a great opportunity for young professionals or older professionals or anyone who doesn't have the time to sit down and watch college basketball every week, except for a game or two on a Saturday, uh, to stay in touch with what's going on in that sport and be prepared for a big week like this week with March Madness going on. Uh, So the bottom line is basketball and business has been a great way to keep me involved with the game of basketball, uh, feed my love of the sports, as well as keep me informed uh, on all the sports news. We will include the link to Basketball and Business's subscription site in the show notes below so you guys can check it out. So take a moment, check them out. If you like college basketball and you like golf, uh, we've got a great partnership going on here. So thank you to Basketball and Business for sponsoring this episode. And uh, we'll move on to uh, talking about episode two. Yeah, so episode two featured Brooks Kepka and, and Scotty Scheffler. And I thought this was the most interesting episode, the most compelling episode. Um, and there were some some great episodes that followed, but I think it was the perfect pairing of two different stories to tell in parallel to contrast the different stories that these players were experiencing uh, against each other. Brooks is a guy who was on top of the golfing world just a few years ago, winning four majors in two years. He was the number one player in the world. No one could beat him. And now he has lost his game. He feels like he doesn't know if he'll ever get it back again. He'll, he doesn't know if, if he'll ever be able to, to compete. At one point in the episode, he's like, I can't beat these guys. I mean, how, how dejecting is that to, to go from being on top of the golfing world to I can't even compete? There's, there's no way for me to win. Contrasting that with Scotty, who is the most laid back, seemingly carefree guy in the world, the things that he's concerned about are reading the Bible in his kitchen and his wife eating popcorn in the hotel bed during tournaments. I, I, like, There's not a better contrast than, than that. And Scotty being on top of the world, being number one in the world, winning the Masters. I, I thought this was a, a brilliant episode and, and a brilliant pairing of these two stories. And I, I thought it was, it was quite compelling. Tim, we, we went to you last uh, last time. So do you have any yeah. a, a thoughts on this episode? I do. I, I have the most thoughts on this episode, I would say. Uh, <clears throat> you know, I'll, I'll just start with Scotty quickly because I have more thoughts on Brooks. I, I think Scotty Scheffler has been the quietest number one player 
ever in PGA Tour history. And I think he he said it when he won the Masters, like on the Thursday or, or the, the Wednesday night press conference, he said something like, you know, coming into this number one in the world and no one's really talking about, like no one's talking about me at all as like a contender to to win. It was like, and it, I was, he's right. People don't, I don't know why people just don't look at him. Maybe because he doesn't outwardly like that alpha competitor kind of guy. They, they don't look at him as, they don't take him as seriously as, you should the number one player in the world. I so I just thought that was interesting. And to your point, he's such a laid back guy that maybe that contributes to it. But going on to the the, the meat of the episode, I think is to your point with the Brooks Kepka thing. It, it is as a golfer who understands that golf is hard. It, it is tough to watch you know Brooks Kepka struggle and all that stuff. But it almost and I hate to say it almost is like vindictive in a way because for so many years when he was number one, he, Brooks kept had this attitude of, ah, it's just golf, dude. Ah, dude, I don't even practice. Like, oh, when I'm not in a tournament, I don't even play golf. Like, this isn't that hard. It's just my job. I don't even like golf. I just show up and I put the ball in the hole. Like, what are you guys crying about type of deal? Like, it was it was like the, the whole, you know, oh, he's so good. He just didn't care about golf at all. He's like, oh, it's just a job. Who even cares? To now see him not be in that and he says at one point, he's like, my girlfriend is like talking about this stuff. And all I can think about is my golf swing. It's a little bit of like a gotcha moment for golf fans to be like, yeah, man, this is hard. And you didn't give it any respect when you were the world number one. Like you just didn't care at all. Th- those are kind of my, my, I'll let it there, but those are my, the start of my thoughts. One of my, I think this, that was probably my favorite uh, scene in the episode besides maybe the, Scotty trying different iced coffees scene. That, that, that was, was amazing. That was pretty I, epic. Love I love him. Um, was Jenna trying on a bunch of different outfits and in between outfits, they cut to a interview with Brooks where he's like, yeah, Jenna's talking to me and I'm not hearing anything that she's saying because I'm just thinking about the golf course. It was absolutely brilliant production. Compl- like, Absolutely 100%. nailed that. And it was amazing. I kind of first off resonate with that because I think about yeah. like, whenever as a golfer, I'm like, okay, it's Wednesday. I'm thinking about my weekend plans. It looks like Saturday morning's open. I'm going to try to go play some golf. And then you start hearing people talk about like, hey, we should do something. We should do this. We should do that. And I'm like, no, 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 no. My mind is on the golf course. I'm playing golf on Saturday. You know, like don't let don't let that interfere with my my schedule. I think this was a really interesting episode though, like what you are saying. First off, I think we need to give Netflix its credit for the matchups that they did in these episodes. They had so many golfers, so many golfers to choose from, right? And they out of the mix picked Scotty Scheffler and Brooks Kepka, who I mean, it's they they did such a good job of just like what you said, Caleb, the juxtaposition of a guy who's a low-key number one in the world player and a guy who at one point was like, if it's not a major, I'm not interested. I I think it posed a question to me. I'm going to go meta again. It posed a question to me that I think is bigger than golf itself of just like, where do you find your meaning in this world? And it's very clear that Scotty has found his meaning in life outside of golf. And you look at Brooks and when his golf is at its lowest point, 
which personally I think he copped out and went to live because of it, but we can talk about that later. Um, I think he his meaning was all in his golf performance. That's how he felt like at least as a viewer, I perceived it as like his worth was in his game. And when his game was low, then like you see it. He's like, I don't even know if I'm gonna make it. I don't even know, blah, blah, blah. And you you see him in his nice house and everything. And it's very clear that he's concerned about his well-being if he doesn't play good golf. And then you see Scotty Scheffler and he's happy go lucky. You know, I've done some research on him. Like he drives like a suburban that he drove in high school. Like he's so easygoing, like clearly doesn't care that, I mean, he does care that he's number one in the world, but like, it's not what gives him it's his worth in life. And I think it just poses the bigger question of like, is your worth all in your work? And what happens if that's taken away from you? Mm-hmm. There's a scene right before Scotty tees off for his final round at the Masters. And Ted Scott says to Scotty, I want you to think of two things today. Number one, mm. this is just the same as any round of golf. It's just golf. And number two, God still controls everything. And that just is the perfect, it exemplifies everything about the episode. I mean, that is the episode in a nutshell. Like that is Scotty's world. Like William said, that's where he gets his identity and and meaning in life contrasted with everything that Brooks is going through where, and I actually think I actually found Brooks to be more likable after watching this episode. I, I was, I was not a big fan of his. That's because you were a big Bryson fan back then. Caleb. you can't have liked Brooks. That's just like true. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. I, that was during my, uh, uh, Bryson DeChambeau fanboy days. You got the sense in the episode, like all of that stuff that he was saying that about how he didn't care, that was all a charade. He really does care. He really does care about how he does in the waste management Phoenix Open. Not not winning that tournament, not defending his title. That was a big deal to him. And that makes Brooks a much more compelling golfer than he was when he just was someone who didn't care. And, you know, he was just good enough to turn it up in the majors and then wouldn't really give it his his 100% effort otherwise. Um, so that's another thing that I really appreciated about this episode. It showed me another side of Brooks. Yeah. Caleb, I, you know, you make a few good points there. And I think, I think I agree with a lot of what you said. Um, this episode did a really good job of showcasing what Brooks is sort of dealing with off the course. Something I still wish they talked a bit more about was what on the course was making him play worse than he'd played before. And again, I think we'll hear that a few times throughout this, but, but I do like, I mean, he meant they mentioned injuries. You know, Brooks mentioned in his interviews, oh, I was, you know, injured a few times, whatever, all this kind of stuff. But what I want to know is what did those injuries do? What what was the domino effect on your game? Like they showed a lot of, you know, missed practice putts. Was it really putting? Like, I don't know that it totally was, right? Like that's part of the puzzle, but I think his iron play statistically dropped off a lot, especially as he had like knee issues. And I don't know. I, I again maybe that's the golf nerd in me wishing they did like dove a little bit deeper there, but um, I do think the primary purpose of this episode is to understand the psyche of a golfer, right? Um, and like you guys have all said, the contrast between Scotty and Brooks was just an excellent choice for the episode. Um, I think one quote Brooks had really stood out to me as emblematic of the whole episode. And he basically said, you know, when you're playing good golf and when you have it, you feel like you're never going to lose it. And when you don't have it, you feel like you're never going to get it back. And I don't know, as a golfer, as a competitive golfer, I have been very much in both of those uh, headspaces. Yeah, I know true. for a fact you have. I know all of us have, really, you know. Uh, um, 
because there's so much to be said. And again, I, I think that even echoes, again, they didn't explore this as much, but when you go back to JT and, and Jordan in the previous episode, like speed had such success early in his career because he developed like no scar tissue. And in a lot of ways he could just play golf, um, enjoy it. And like, not think about ramifications, like not thinking about anything. That's another thing Brooks said. He said, I don't think Scotty is thinking about anything right now. And then the whole episode is like just examining how Brooks is overthinking every single aspect of his golfing and personal life. Whereas like Scotty probably has no thoughts about golf in his head at all. Yep. Um, so just, I don't know, an interesting exploration of the psyche of a golfer. And I think I found myself at different points in the episode relating to both Scotty and to Brooks, honestly. So I, I didn't think I'd ever relate to Brooks Kepka on anything. Uh, I think I'm probably more similar to Scotty as far as personality goes, but um, I hope so at least, but regardless, <laughs> I, found, I found myself identifying with some of what Brooks was saying about like, man, like, you know, when you lose it and when you lose it physically, you lose it mentally. And if you lose it mentally, man, that is so hard to recapture. Um, you know, especially as someone who's probably not been the strongest mental golfer, it, you know, in the world throughout my life and competitive golf career, like, man, I totally get it. I totally get it. So I found myself relating to both characters. It's great. The only part of the episode that I found insufferable was when they asked Brooke, Brooks, like, who won the Masters? Who won the Masters? <laughs> like, oh, uh. yeah, that was bad. That was that was that was the Brooks that you know. Oh, oh, yeah. Scotty, Scotty, it's like, dude, this is your life. You clearly care so much about it. Like, you know who won the Masters? Shut up. Anyway, no, boom, no, I, 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 I'm, I'm actually gonna push back on that. Do you honestly think that Brooks Kepka, after missing the cut, saying that was the first time that he ever left the golf course embarrassed, watched the rest of that tournament? No, I no, I don't think he, he didn't did. watch it. I but I think he knew who won. I think, I think he knew. But who I won think he knew who won. I think he he decided he wasn't interested when he when at that point he probably knew that he was already going to live and his master's future was a bunch of gray area and he didn't know. And he was like, okay, I'm going to pretend to not care. So if I don't get to play in the masters again, it doesn't look terrible. I, but, I but, agree with him. I agree with that. I just think hit, I, I think logistically it was impossible for him not to know yeah, Being yeah. in that world. It's not, I, I disagree. I, 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 Scotty is my second favorite golfer, very close second to Jordan Spieth. And there have been times over the last year where I was, uh, where I've like, Wait, who won the Masters? Oh, Scotty won the Masters. How could I forget it? He's like one of my favorite golfers. I think that's kind of the whole point of the episode. Like he is, he was embarrassed leaving the golf course. He feels so, he, he thinks so poorly about himself because of the way he's playing golf that he tries to distance, distance himself so far from that mentally that it, it takes him a second to recall basic facts of like who won the biggest tournament of the year. See, I, I don't know. I, I think it's actually almost the opposite. I think yeah, like, I agree. I feel I like think, I think the point, situation here. Well, I, I think the point of the episode, like you're saying, in some ways, like you were saying before, Caleb, is like Brooks actually cares. He actually a gives a crap about golf. He cares a lot, which we did not get, you know, when he was winning majors left and right from 2017 mm -hmm. to 2019. That whole time he cared. Now he cares. To me, if you care that much. Like you definitely are attuned to a certain sense. You are definitely attuned to what's going on in the golf world because like, he's, I mean, like every other guy out here, we talked about with Jordan and JT Brooks is a competitor, you know, he, he knows who's winning every tournament. He knows which guys get a target on their back. And to me, him pretending, in my opinion, not to know who won the masters 
was exactly what we've seen from him early in his career, where he's kind of setting up this defense out of insecurity, like, oh, yeah, Scotty won the Masters. Like, gosh, man, bad. I forgot that for a sec. I, I think the episode shows that Brooks cares way too much for that to be true. Yeah, well, quite frankly, none of us know Brooks Kepka. So. Yeah, <laughs> true. Um, true. Which is fine. We can speculate all day long, but yeah. none of us know. I want to go back to something that, that Drew said, though. So there's a an interview, a very brief clip of one in the eighth episode. I'm not trying to jump to the eighth episode, but Brooks, is men- Brooks comes up on the screen, and he uh, – I, I don't want to quote it because I'm going to get it wrong – but he says something like, you know, I want to make sure that, you know, my family's, you know, covered for my kids, my grandkids. And then he goes as far to say, like, my grandkids, kids or something like that. So his great grandchildren, like he thinks that, I mean, he he's put so much pressure on himself to do well. He's he's basically saying, if you know, if I don't win this tournament, it's going to reflect generally generationally down to my grandkids kids like he doesn't even have kids yet (laughs) yeah if you put that kind of pressure on yourself to do anything then yeah of course you're probably not going to do well because that's that's no that's three generations down speaking of uh brooks kepka quotes that i wasn't exactly a fan of in this episode he said I'd pay back every dollar I've made to get that feeling back for an hour, which knowing what happens next yeah, is the biggest tough. load of crap. It's tough. I guess, I guess he was just talking about the money that he's made so far and not the money he was about to make. I, I will also say, I had that same thought, Caleb, because when he said that, I was like, oh, well, dude, I mean, we all know what decision you made like a month after this was filmed. Um, <laughs> that said, um, I think one... I think what makes his decision to jump to live even more interesting for me is the fact that we saw how much even regular PJ tour events actually did mean to him in this episode. And then the fact that he still chose to abandon a competitive scene that he wanted to get back to the mountaintop of, I think shows to me that he really believes his game is totally broken and he won't find it again. Uh, well, because why, why else would you I make agree. the jump? to a yeah. completely non-competitive member member league you know yep but but if you're if you're if your goal of playing professional golf is to make a bunch of money and in order to do that you need to, you need to make the cut then it makes if that if those are your goals not then it makes sense to don't, go don't even to make a, the cut anymore exactly that's my point <laughs> is it makes sense to go to a league where a you don't have to make a cut and b you're getting a bunch of money for not even playing well so yep. you're getting money for showing up so I guess the right. I guess the question it, it, then it checks his boxes that he seemed to want out of golf. So I, I mean, to me, the, there's a mismatch in the goals, though, right? Like, because I agree with you, if your goal is to make money playing golf, then it seems like a no-brainer. But I think wh- a lot of what I got, at least from sort of exploring the innards of Brooks's mind in this episode, was that I, I really genuinely came away believing that what he cared about was winning and playing good golf. Like, like you said earlier, a lot of his worth was tied up in his performance on the course. And I was like, honestly, I was left from that episode wondering how the heck he went to live. And I think the only way it makes sense is if he truly thought he was like totally lost and wouldn't be found again. 
or wouldn't be healthy. I mean, again, who knows what the health situation is as well, or be healthy well, again. Or he gets the same rush from signing a big paycheck. Fair point. That's a good, I didn't even think about that. That's a great point. All right, we're going to stop there for now. Thanks for listening to our breakdown of episodes one and two of Netflix's Full Swing. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us a rate and review. And don't forget to subscribe to our channel so that you won't miss any new episodes, including surprise releases like this one. Stay tuned next week as we talk about more of the series. Cheers. Cheers.